The scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3. Open your Bibles, if uh, you would, and follow along as we examine verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3. Before we read, let me just um, back up and remind us of what we've been doing in our study of 1 Peter. Uh, because 1 Peter is a part of God's Word, that automatically makes it uh, a good place for us to go when we worship together and seek to understand what God wants us to know. But even more specifically, this is a, a book that was written by an apostle of Jesus Christ to a group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who were beginning to experience hardship, persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You might think that when we come to know Christ, we learn to love and we're nice people and who would be unhappy with us? <laughs> but we live in a fallen world and the most basic ongoing war that goes on 24 seven, every day, every month, every year, every millennium is the war between good and evil. Or more specifically, the war between God and the devil himself. We believe that Satan is real. We believe that there are forces of darkness in this world, not only because first and foremost, the Bible tells us that, but even more because we know that battle is taking place right in our own hearts. We continuously deal with temptation. And in Peter's case, the temptation might well have been for his readers, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because if I stick my neck out there and say something, I might get executed by the authorities for telling them that Christ is Lord and not Caesar. Now, Peter understood and time proved that the persecutions would only intensify as these believers in, in uh, Asia Minor continued to live out their faith. All of that to say, we're in a similar situation. There's always been hostility to believing in Christ. But now we are seeing increasing hostility in our own country. And the, the direction of that is it's, there's no evidence that it's going to stop anytime soon. It's going to get worse more than likely. And we need to be prepared to stand strong for our faith in Christ and not wilt under pressure when tempted to lighten up on our beliefs in order to escape conflict, hardship, persecution, or even death. And lastly, in this part, before we read it, I've been saying that I think it's vitally important that not only we learn how to live for Christ under these circumstances, but that we teach our children and our grandchildren because they quite likely are going to have a harder time of living out their faith than we are. 
So all of that is why we're looking at 1 Peter right now. This is sort of a manual for how to strengthen your faith in the midst of people who will mock you, who will reject you, uh, and perhaps even do hard, harsher things than that because of the fact that you love Jesus, because he has loved you and redeemed you. Peter has been talking about in this middle section of 1 Peter, the importance of submitting, or as the ESV says, be subject to. Submission is an important part of living a faithful Christian life. He's already talked about submitting to civil authorities. He's talked about submitting to those uh, where we work, who are our masters or our bosses, as we would say today. And now he's going to talk about submitting when it comes to marriage. The verses we're about to read talk about husbands and wives and their relational responsibilities to one another. Now, if you're not married, you might say, oh, I'm off the hook. Not really. <laughs> you're not off the hook because you may well have <clears throat> opportunities to talk to others and maybe help them who are married and don't understand these things that we're looking at today. God may use you because you know the word of God and, and if it doesn't directly apply to you, it may indirectly so that you can be better equipped to help others. And if you're not married, at least for some of you, it's possible you may be married one of these days. And when you think on those terms, you have to realize, I need to know what God says about marriage. So verses one through seven. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's hear carefully what God has to tell us. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their, of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the, and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I titled the sermon Beautiful Husbands and Wives as a reminder to us that that real beauty is not 
merely external. I suspect most of us already knew that. Real beauty is not merely external, it is primarily internal. And that's a major reason why there's a lot of difficulty today in the homes of our land. The family as an institution established by God has fallen apart as a whole in our culture. What used to be taken for granted about husbands and wives now is lost in a sea of confusion and individualistic beliefs. And so the result is that, that there's a, a wide, wide uh, variation of opinions about marriage. Recently, uh, in World Magazine, I noticed some statistics about marriage that bear this out. The share of Americans ages 18 through 34 who are married, what percentage of Americans are married today? You just think about that, what you would say in your own mind. 25%, the share of Americans in that age group, 18 to 34, who are married today, 25%. In 1978, it was almost 60%, 59 to be precise. That's from the U.S. Census Bureau. And one other statistic, the number of unmarried adults in the United States, unmarried adults, almost 127 million. You think about that, that is a huge chunk of our population. And that's just adults. 127 million, along with how many unmarried Americans are cohabiting with a significant other. This statistic, I really was, I'm throwing it out because it's, it's, I'm sure it's way too low. 17 million, 17 million couples living together without the marriage uh, taking place. I think it's too low for one reason I can think of, and that is a whole bunch of those folks aren't going to report that. <laughs> They're going to say, I don't want to take that survey. And there's probably a good reason in their minds for that. All of this, of course, reminds us how important it is and how our nation has basically thrown out the whole idea of marriage itself and also what how marriage is supposed to work in terms of the relationships of the husband and the wife. So that's what we're looking at here this morning. And the first uh, part of this section is really the, the first six verses tells us that in a beautiful marriage, the wife is to be submissive to her husband. There are, there's a, as I read, read through those verses a while ago, I just thought of all the places in this passage that would cause some people to jump out of their skins when they read what this says, given our, our, the mindset of so many people today. You can see all kinds of con, uh, conflicts and disagreements people would have with, with the Christian view of marriage. But this section begins with uh, an interesting term, likewise. Likewise, 
And then if you look at what he's going to say in verse 7 about husbands, he uses the same term, likewise. He's tying all of this in together. He's been writing about submission, and he's continuing to talk about how we are to conduct ourselves in our relationships. In this case, marriage. Likewise, he says. Now, when it says women are to be submissive, or wives, I should say, are to be submissive, that's a very restricted thing. Wives in a marriage are to be submissive, but they are to be submissive only to their husbands. And so he makes that very clear the way he writes this. Submitting to your own husbands. R.C. Sproul tells the story of the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. What a title. My Big Fat Greek Wedding was pretty popular from what I understand. There's a scene in there in which uh, the daughter wants to get married to a certain man and she knows that her dad is the head of the house and so she goes to him and, well, she plans to go to him, but she knows this is gonna be a tough one. You know, if he's gonna give her permission to marry this guy. But she also knows she has to do that because he's the head of the house. So she talks to her mother about it first, smart lady. She talks to her mother first and she says, I don't know how I'm going to get Papa to agree to this. <clears throat> but I have to ask him because he's the head of the house. And the mother says, yes, he may be the head of the house, but I'm the neck that turns the head. Yeah. That's, that's pretty funny, but I'm afraid there are a lot of times when that is the case in, in uh, certain homes. Submit to your own husbands. Remember, there's all kinds of submission that Christians have to, to be involved in. Ultimately, every single one of us is submitting to Christ, right? He is Lord. And when we commit our lives to Christ, we are signing up for that, that responsibility. I, Lord, I'm going to submit to you as my, my master, as my sovereign one who is over me, and I am responsible to do what you want me to do. I'm not here to live the way I want. I'm here to live the way you want because of who you are and because you have infinite wisdom and you know what's best for me. And so we submit in a variety of ways. <clears throat> when it comes to the family, remember from what Paul says in Ephesians 5, we all have responsibilities to submit to one another in the body of Christ. And then within marriage, Paul says, we are, we are to, wives are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives and they are submitting to Christ in what they do, each one of them. I submit to my husband, says the wife, because that is my way of submitting to Christ. Christ is the ultimate head, and in the marriage under that is the husband, and under that you have the wife, and under the wife you have the children. There is an order there that God has enacted, and even if we have questions and issues about 
you know, that just doesn't sound right to me. You've got to understand this is a reciprocal responsibility. The husband has a role in this too, which we will see in a minute. So submitting is not a, a bad thing. Submission does not mean you are secondary or second rate. If that were true, how do we understand Jesus Christ submitting to the will of his Father? Because we know in our good theology, if we have good theology, that Jesus Christ is fully God, just as we have God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, we have God the Son. God the Son submits to the will of his Father in that relationship. So we have to remember that. It may be a better word, or at least a similar word that may help a little bit, subordinate. Subordinate. In our relationship there. And so it has nothing to do with the inferiority, supposed inferiority of the wife. Galatians 5 makes it very clear to us that in Christ we are one. Remember how he says in verse 20, <clears throat> 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> we are all the, on the equal standing, equal status in terms of our relationship to God. But in marriage, we have different functions, different functions. I often tell people, what if we had two presidents of the United States? How would that work? <clears throat> you may say, well, I don't know. I'm having enough trouble with just having one president of the United States. And sometimes we're disappointed with our president, but none of them are perfect either. But here, we're seeing the importance of, of this order, order in the family. We have roles that are assigned to us. And, and when he's... When Peter says this, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, he's saying this not because, um, not because their husbands are perfect. He's saying it because he knew that some of these wives were married to people, to men who were not believers. Not all of them, <clears throat> but some of them, the way she words it, even if some do not obey the word. That's really saying if some are not believers in Christ because believers in Christ seek to obey the word. <clears throat> not everyone is going to be a Christian spouse. But what's the responsibility of the wife if she's married to a non-Christian? She could say, that's it. I don't have to listen to you. You're not even a Christian. Nope, she's still responsible. She's still responsible and she's going to, to submit and to uh, have a submissive life in relationship to her husband that is accompanied, accompanied by a godly lifestyle. And this is how she's going to relate to her husband. In the end of verse one, it says, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. 
If, you're, if you're, a wife is living a godly life, glorifying God, but not henpecking her husband about Christ, she can have a great influence on her husband spiritually by the way that she lives before the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and it's not based on her physical beauty. Her physical beauty may be something that probably was something that caused the husband to want to marry her. But that's not the primary thing. Don't misunderstand what it's saying here. It's not saying, <clears throat> verse 3, when he says, don't let your adorning be external and the specifics that are given there. It's not saying it's wrong to have nice clothes. It's wrong to have any kind of jewelry. He's not saying that. He's saying don't let that be the primary uh, emphasis in your life. Some people probably overdo it in their dress and the jewelry they wear, they may overdo it in a way that maybe they're thinking, well, maybe this will sort of make it a, a, a good situation. It can make up for the fact that I'm really not too interested in trying to be uh, spiritually strong and, and godly. Can't be a substitute for that. Nothing is a substitute for godliness. And so it says this conduct, verse 2, is respectful and pure conduct. Several times Peter uses that word conduct. We've seen an example or two of that uh, before we got to chapter 3. They can see, <clears throat> your husbands can see your respectful, your respectful and pure conduct. Verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Let that be what stands out, what is noticeable by someone. The way you conduct yourself on the outside is a reflection of the condition of your heart. The hidden person of the heart. Imperishable beauty. Wives are going to be beautiful if they are godly. And that beauty is imperishable. Peter used that word in chapter 1 when he talked about our imperishable condition about being born again. It's never going to, to uh, fade away. It's never going to be destroyed. Nothing can take away the beauty of a godly woman, a godly wife. And of course, that's true for men too in a general sense. All Christians, we're beautiful in the sight of God because we're godly. We're reflecting him. We're reflecting his nature. <clears throat> Not physical beauty. And boy, that's a word that needs to be stressed today. Parents need to stress that with their children. Don't live your life thinking that I can make people like me by, by you know, flashing this beauty you know, where they say, wow, look at how you've done your hair and how you dress and all of that. Uh, be careful about that. You don't want somebody to marry you, wives, ladies. You don't want somebody to marry you that's only captured by your outward beauty. 
because they'll marry you for the wrong reasons. And that will not produce a good marriage. A beautiful life. It says here that <clears throat> submission has great value. It is precious in the sight of God. So listen, ladies, whose opinion of you matters most? Whose opinion of you matters most? It should be God's. It's what God thinks of you that ultimately is going to make the eternal difference. And so we have to be careful that we don't adopt a substitute God in the person that we marry. Important as that is, they can't be God for you. Again, you're destined for disappointment if you are that way. And so it tells us here that uh, we can, uh, women can win their husbands to Christ without a word by their conduct, their godly conduct. Now, don't misunderstand this part, too, without a word. It's not that you never say anything related to Christ. There may be appropriate times to do that, but you don't hound them about it. That's going to produce an opposite reaction. Well, by without a word, it doesn't mean also without them ever hearing the words of the gospel. There was a great uh, theologian many, many hundreds of years ago who said that we should go out and preach the gospel to people by caring for the poor and, and helping those in need. <clears throat> and if necessary, he said, use words. It is necessary every single time. Nobody can come to Christ without hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10 tells us that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we have to, at some point, communicate the gospel to them or put them in a position to hear the gospel. God will take care of that. But this is the environment in which a husband and wife should live day in and day out if the wife believes the husband is not a believer. Now, in many cases, that won't be the case. It'll be, uh, and, and hopefully it will be, uh, that a Christian woman marries a Christian man. That's the way God would order it. There was a wonderful example of this uh, in the life of Augustine, St. Augustine, fourth century theologian. <clears throat> His mother <clears throat> was Monica. And she was a believer in Christ. She prayed for his salvation. And boy, did he need salvation. He was a rouser. And uh, he did just led a very worldly life. Well, she kept praying for his salvation, and he did come to faith in Christ. Very, very amazingly and wonderfully. But... <clears throat> Later in his life, after he had been a believer for a long time, he wrote about his mother's prayers and about how his father was not a believer. And this is what Augustine said about his pagan father, Patricius, who's his father's name. And writing about her mother, she said, she served her husband as her master 
and did all she could to win him for you, capital Y, win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct by which you made her beautiful. And finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. Augustine's dad, Patricius, eventually came to Christ because of the witness, the silent witness <clears throat> of his wife, Monica. It's a beautiful thing, and it happens still today, thankfully. All right, well, the, <clears throat> the godly women in the past did this too. Just note that before we look at verse 7. <clears throat> Sarah was the example that's given here by Peter of godly women in the past and how they related to their husbands. And it says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. She obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Notice, little L. She's not calling him God. It could be translated master. And it's saying that she was submissive to uh, the, the head of the home and what uh, he would want to be done. Of course, it, you know, if, if a husband wants a wife to do something that's sinful and wrong, they have the greater responsibility to God to not abide by that. Now, the last thing I want you to note, verse 7. In a beautiful marriage, the husband is considerate of his wife. Verse 7 says a lot. I'm trying to summarize it by saying considerate. But look at how it, it uh, is worded there. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman <clears throat> as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, <clears throat> so that your prayers may not be hindered. <clears throat> He must know his wife. Live with your wives in an understanding way. It's amazing how many marriages that are going through difficulties, if the reality of, of the way they are could be sort of peeled back, it probably would be found that these folks don't spend much time getting to know each other. Sometimes that happens during courtship where you learn some things, you think you've learned enough, but any of us who've been married for a while know that you never stop learning new things about your spouse. And it should be that way. You know, that old song, getting to know you, it needs to be a way of life. Getting to keep knowing you would be more accurate. And so that takes time, that takes effort, that takes communication. And the husband, as the head of the home, needs to communicate with his wife, probing, asking questions, expressing uh, concerns or praises or whatever it, it may be. You can already see that submission isn't what many people imagine it to be. The husband's responsible to care for his wife. He, being the head of the home doesn't, is not as great as it sounds. Husbands, Christian husbands understand that. It's a job. It's a huge responsibility. God's going to hold a husband responsible for what happens in the home. Whatever it is, good or bad. 
And so if you're not trying to get to know your wives and spending time with them, ideally every day, how is your day? What's been going on? How are you feeling? What are you thinking? And so on. And it should go both ways, of course. But the husband should make sure it's happening. You can't be a good husband if you don't know your wife and live with her in an understanding way. Spending time with her. Because it says there, live with your wife uh, as, in an understanding way and <clears throat> live with your wives. With. You know, you're not just husband and wife on paper. You are to live with, be in relationship with your wives in an understanding way. Time, take time to talk, to listen, to do things together. It's so easy to let the busyness of your life just crowd out that. And it's too important to let it be crowded out. He must respect his wife. Respect his wife. Showing honor to the woman. Honor your wives. The word honor, is, it could also be translated precious. It's another word Peter has used earlier in 1 Peter. Treat her as precious. We are precious as believers in God's sight, and the wife is to be considered precious as the most precious human gift that God can give to a husband. And she needs to be treated accordingly. As the husband leads, he must be careful not to abuse that leadership role. There's a new book out on marriage called Gospel Shaped Marriage by Chad Van Dixhorn and his wife, Emily. And they talk a little bit about um, their relationships <clears throat> and what this means to honor your wife as the weaker vessel. There's another one that can cause some people to go ballistic. The woman's not weaker. Husbands are to, to uh, honor their wives. And one way they do that, a very simple way, that's sort of gone out of style. So some of you may laugh at this. Open the door of your car to let your wife in. Today's wives might all say, he doesn't have to do that. I can do that perfectly well. I'm not unable to open my own door and get in. That's a result of the women's liberation movement that's been going on for a century uh, that it continues to stoke the fires of, of rebellion to the principle of submission in anything. But somewhat humorously, uh, the Van Dixhorns say, scholars offer more than one option of what this weakness means. One perspective studies the word that Peter used when he refers to the woman that is plausibly translated one who is feminine. She's weaker in the sense that she's different. She's feminine. According to this perspective, the feminine one is a weaker vessel because she shows a wider range of emotions and consistently loses in arm wrestling contests. Well, <clears throat> I know that there are women who will not lose in arm wrestling contests. 
And there's always exceptions. There are times when women are stronger than men. When our choir was traveling in Europe, our choir director was in a wheelchair. And we had to, we had to move him around all kinds of places, and it was somewhat challenging at times. We couldn't get our bus around a tight curve somewhere. I don't know where it was. Uh, Germany, maybe. And so four guys went over to this Volkswagen bug. We call them Volkswagens. And those four guys picked up the Volkswagen and moved it over. I also know that there have been stories of women who have picked up a car enough to get their child that was caught under it and get their child out. You know, there's certain things that go into, that kick into motion, you know, when women are, are trying to protect their child and they are give, have superhuman strength in points like that. But anyway, um, the ultimate example of the strength of a woman is giving birth to a child. No man could probably handle that. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. So women are stronger in some ways, and they are often stronger emotionally. They're more sensitive, and that's how they complement one another. She is a fellow believer in Christ. He says, they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not treating your wife, husbands, the way you should, it may be one reason why your prayers aren't getting anywhere. My God may not be answering those prayers in a good way. Sometimes that happens. When we sin, we throw up roadblocks between us and God when we pray. That's why it's so important to confess our sins, to keep the roads, the roadways clear, if, it, if I can put it that way. Husbands must build their marriages by this pattern. Ephesians 5 goes right along with this. There's no need to pray otherwise if they aren't. This can help your marriage to say, the way we've been relating to one another isn't working out too well. Maybe we ought to let God tell us how things ought to, to be done. Yeah, that's what you want. And it's a way that you can help others in their marriage by turning to the Word of God, having a marriage that reflects God's design and grace is a wonderful thing. All marriages will have conflicts. All marriages will have trials. All marriages will sometimes will just be confounded and just don't know how to handle some of our challenges in our relationships. But we persevere through it with prayer and seeking to apply the, the commands God's given us in our circumstances as best as we can through the power of the Holy Spirit. And most of all, and I'll leave you with this, most of all, you know Jesus Christ. You must know Jesus Christ. You must know him savingly by turning from your sins and putting your trust in him alone because you don't have the equipment, the spiritual equipment to have a truly blessed marriage apart from him. Be sure that you have that foundation settled 
And you can build upon that with the word of God and with the spirit of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you and thank you because we know that the most blessed of relationships depend upon your work in our lives. And for those of us who've been called to marriage, we ask you to strengthen our marriages. Help us to see where we are putting ourselves first and our spouses second. Help us to see that that needs to be reversed. Help us to pattern our relationships according to the principles in your word. They are not uh, in need of being jettisoned today because of what the world tells us. Your word is always true and wise and good. We pray that you would sh show us that and bless us in our marriages. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.